back, Brewers fans, to another episode of the Barrel Banter. We're back, not coming to you live from PNC Park like we did last week, but we did come back from Pittsburgh and enjoyed a, a good series in Pittsburgh. Brewers taking two out of three uh, against the Pirates and sort of keeping up pace in the National League Central here. Overall, pretty good last week or 10 days since we last hopped on a normal episode. So David, how have your thoughts been about the Brewers over the last week or two? My thoughts have been better than they were on Friday night in that loss against the Pirates. Uh, they probably hit a pretty much hit a low for the season. Thinking about the Brewers, that was that was a pretty tough game. But otherwise, they've been you know pretty good. That great comeback win on Monday when they beat the Cubs eight six. They came back from down six two to tie it yesterday and almost won. So all things considered, I mean it's an important stretch of NL Central teams, and so far they've been pretty successful. Yeah, and, and you got to, uh, unfortunately, witness the end of the Matt Bush era live. I know you were at the game. I uh, I guess I, for the most part, uh, made the smart decision not to attend that game. I can thank my nine-month-old for that one. But I was not there present for the Matt Bush walk-off home run that ended his Brewers run. But anything else that you thought, I, I, we don't need to dwell too much on that game. But how about PNC Park and the experience in Pittsburgh? What were your thoughts on the city and the stadium? I had a very positive experience with both the city and the stadium. The city was was very nice. I didn't know it was so hilly or even maybe mountainous. The the views were were nice. We where we stayed was kind of up on top of a mountain or hill. And the downtown area is very nice. I was expecting it to be a little bit older, kind of maybe run down just a little bit, but it wasn't. I, I thought you know, I thought it was it was a little bit bigger than downtown Milwaukee, but it was nice. And the rivers that being there, the three rivers, um, two of them converging into one. That's a very nice, a very nice setting for a baseball game being right on the rivers, but also just the whole city being right on the river in that downtown area. So I, I had overall a very positive experience with the city and then a very nice ballpark. PNC is, I would say, one of my top ballparks that I've been to so far. Yeah, I mean, the rivers, rivers definitely make the city and the ballpark. Um, I mentioned this on the last uh, brief bonus episode we recorded live from PNC Park, but really what does it is the beautiful skyline in the outfield. Um, and then you got the rivers that Roberto Clemente bridge is, is really cool. Iconic, big, bold yellow bridge right in the backdrop. So I think where the stadium is, is, is the biggest part of what makes PNC Park a great, great ballpark. And the city itself also was enjoyable. I, I also like the views, like you said, there's, I didn't expect to have those high points where you can look out. There's an overlook in several different areas to see different parts of the city. Um, and even going along the river, seeing the different buildings, um, Heinz Field, now Acrisure Stadium, doesn't quite have the same ring uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is is I didn't realize right next to a pretty much PNC Park. There's even a monument if you're a Steelers fan where there's the, uh, what was it, Immaculate Reception um, play. You can actually stand exactly where that play um, stood because it's actually sort of just near the sidewalk between the two stadiums. So really enjoyed my time in Pittsburgh and uh, Brewers took two out of three from the series. So that was good as well. So let's, let's jump into today's episode, David. Uh, I think there's a lot to cover uh, between the Brewers success that they've had, where they are in the standings, a couple of transactions. Um, and then as the trade deadline really approaches pretty soon here, um, there's certainly some things to talk about uh, in that regard. So before we get to that, David, who's today's random player of the day? Today's random player of the day is Greg Vaughn. Vaughn was a, an all-star with the Brewers in 1993 and 96. He ranks 8th in franchise history in home runs and 10th in RBIs. 
And in MLB history, he ranks 91st in home runs. So that, of course, counts his home runs with the Padres and the Reds and the other organizations he played for. Believe it or not, he's actually the cousin of former Brewers manager Jerry Royster, who was the Brewers interim manager in 2002. He's also cousins with Mo Vaughn, 1995 AL MVP, former Red Sox and Angels first baseman. And his son, Corey, played in the Cubs organization. I had no idea that uh, Mo Vaughn was a former MVP. Did not realize that. Yeah, I, it was a, it was one of those like borderline, maybe shouldn't have, have won it, but he did. So, he did. I, well, you know, you go you go back and look at those old MVP voting and you think, you know, probably should have done it a little bit differently. He won. He won. He hit 300 that year, slugged 575 with. 39 home runs, 4.3 war. Second place was Albert Bell, who slugged better than him, had a higher average, higher on base, same RBIs, more home runs, more really more of everything, and seven war instead of 4.3. But the voters all hated Albert Bell. So That's right. they gave it to Mo Vaughn probably because, you know, it was, it was a very close race, but they gave it to Mo Vaughn presumably because they just didn't like Albert Bell. Yeah. And Greg Vaughn was a sneaky good player. I mean, if you would have said Greg Vaughn's top 100 in MLB history in home runs, I I would have said no, he's he's not. But 91st, so impressive feat, good career from him. Mm-hmm. And fourth place in that MVP voting was Jose Mesa, the closer. He did have a good year, 64 innings, uh, 46 saves, and he was still in Cleveland, so he wasn't hitting Omar Vizquel yet with every yes. at bat. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I was gonna say that's 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 the Jose Mesa that I'm thinking of. Provide, provide some quick context for, for listeners who aren't familiar with the Jose Mesa, Omar Vizquel story. Jose Mesa was the Indians closer in 90. Well, this would have been before the incident, but in 97, and he failed to close out the World Series game seven against the Marlins. Vizquel wrote a book a few years later and, and said something along the lines of when the lights got bright in October, Jose Mesa wasn't able to deliver and close out the game. Mesa took offense to that. And so Mesa vowed to hit Omar Vizquel every at-bat he faced him for the rest of his career. And I don't know if it was literally every at-bat that he did, but it was at least close to it. And every at-bat, oh, here comes Omar Vizquel. Now Jose Mesa is going to hit him, and sure enough, hits him with a fastball on the first pitch. Um, And MLB even threatened to ban Jose Mesa from playing because they said, you can't do this. But he he got away with it long enough that he, he kept doing it until he retired. Crazy story, crazy story, and uh, I think Omar Vizquel said that he learned afterwards never to to, to uh, put out a, a biography or a book before while he's still playing. I think that was his uh, his takeaway. He never, I mean, he never that I'm aware of never charged them out. It seems like he kind of just took it and was just like, I guess he probably he, he seems like the guy who would just be like, all right, I'll take my base, like that's fine, I'm alright mm-hmm. with it. But but yeah, bizarre bizarre story uh, of Jose Mesa and probably not probably that 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 is. Uh, what he's probably best known for in his career. So I guess that's an interesting legacy to have. So uh, our trivia question today, a little bit of a, a more sub- subjective question that we'll get to here as we go through our topics. And that is, where does Christian Yelich's first half of 2023 season um, compare to his Brewers career? So basically, what kind of first half has he had this year versus the years past in his Brewers tenure? So we'll get to that trivia question shortly here. Let's first take a look at the weekly review. The Brewers taking three of four from the Mets in New York, two of three from the Pirates in Pittsburgh, 
And so far as we're recording this, they've split games one and two with the Cubs. Like David said, the big comeback win in game one. And unfortunately, the Brewers failing to come back in game two, losing that one in 11 innings. So Brewers are 46 and 40 and just one game behind the Reds in the National League Central. And David, I want to take a, a minute here to talk about that game two loss the Brewers had in the 11th. I actually picked up the game late in the game, so I didn't see the comeback. The Brewers were already tied in that game when I started watching it. But to give some context, Brewers start with the ghost runner on second um, in the 10th after Piguero got out of the 10th without giving up a run. There was a line shot. Adames made a nice catch and threw it over to two rang at second for the double play, doubled them up. Uh, that was a huge play. Top of the 10th, first and second, nobody out. And instead, line out, double play, two outs, runner on first. Brewers get out of it without giving up a run, which is huge, obviously, in the 10th. And so Brewers just have to scratch across a run. Uh, uh, Owen Miller comes up, hits a base hit, I think, with one out. And the Brewers, Jason Lane, their third base coach, decides to send Monasterio to home. Gets thrown out quite easily. Not really much of a play. Owen Miller gets thrown out at second base. And when I was watching the game, I was I was like, that just didn't seem right to me that Owen Miller got thrown out at second when the throw went all the way home. They tag the guy out, and then they threw out Owen Miller at second. And somebody, I, I forget, I apologize to whoever I'm, I'm not shouting out, but I saw a screenshot or a, a picture, I should say, of Owen Miller halfway between first and second with his arms up signaling safe. Um, thinking he just hit a walk-off single, and instead he got caught there and thrown out at second. So that's that was that was the tenth, and then of course the eleventh. Jason Lane sent Owen Miller, who is now the ghost runner, on a two-rang flyout with one out, and uh, he got hosed at the plate by kind of a mile, and the Brewers lost the game there. So uh, that that was sort of the context for those that didn't see it. I'm I'm sure most of you did see it. I saw it all over Brewers Twitter and have, saw lots of people's thoughts on on the decisions to send runners there, and the Brewers tend to be aggressive, but. What are your thoughts, David, on that play and the Brewers' general uh, philosophy to be pretty aggressive on the base pass in those situations? I like the Brewers being aggressive, even if an outcome like this is what ends up being the the downside of being aggressive on the bases. I remember back in, I think it was 2021, Jason Lane's first game as a third base coach, and he sent Travis Shaw on a single that he had no business sending him. He was probably halfway down the line when the when the ball reached home. And we really don't get too many of those moments anymore. But I remember him being like, oh, okay, maybe there's a learning curve. I mean, being a third base coach is, you know, sometimes challenging, but it's really not that difficult of a skill to pick up. It's really just the, you know, the the hate that you'll get when you send runners like this. Nobody nobody ever says, oh, well, that was a great send. Maybe, maybe a, a very, very diehard fan might say that. But generally, you don't say... It was a good send by the third base coach. The the Monasterio one, I mean, he was out by a mile. So, you know, you probably shouldn't have sent him. And of course, the uh, the Miller then being sent out, or excuse me, being thrown out at second was not Jason Lane's decision to send him out there. I actually thought on the sack fly that it was a good decision. You know, you're it's it's a very risky play when you know you might make the last out at home. But at the same time, this is going to be the second out to... Uh, when Hap catches that fly ball from Turang. So you got you got two outs essentially. And was there you know, there's about a thirty three percent chance that the Brewers score him. I actually don't know who was up next, but if it was just the average hitter, there's about a thirty three percent chance that they score him with two outs run around third, thirty two percent, something like that. Was there at least a thirty two percent chance that he's safe? I think so, because 
the throw is pretty much right there. If the throw is up the line or down the line at all, he's going to be safe. And I, I thought it was worth taking that risk personally. So I, I thought I agree that the the sack fly was a better look than the single. The single monastery was like two and a half steps from third base, and Hap had the ball in his glove. Like it didn't take much to get him. And and Hap the, the throws were. I mean, those were solid throws. They were right on the money. I think he two hopped the one on the single, and he one hopped the one um, in the eleventh. Joey Weaver was the batter on deck. And and one thought I did have. This is kind of a little bit of a far stretch, but just follow me through this. If they send Monasterio and he gets thrown out and Owen Miller just keeps his head down and runs to second, which he should have done. He's, he's standing on second by the time the catcher tags the runner, takes Monasterio out. The Brewers have another shot at winning it then in the 10th. Um, that would have been Tapia, I believe, uh, coming up to plate with a runner on second and two outs. Let's say Tapia doesn't knock him in and he gets out. Tapia is the runner at second now. And instead of the Brewers going 7-8-9 in the 11th, now they go 8-9-1. And I'm again, I'm going a little bit further, but like instead of the sack fly with Joey Weimer on deck, Christian Yelich now gets an at bat in the 11th as opposed to the Brewers ending with Joey Weimer on deck. And honestly, if if um, if we have the sack fly situation with Owen Miller on third and Jason Lane knows that Christian Yelich is on deck, I would not, I definitely would not send him with Joey Weimer on deck. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of the reason that he sent him. Mm-hmm. I think it was a bad move to send Monastero in the 10th. I think you can flip a coin on the 11th. Because you had Weimer on deck, if you had a guy like Yelich or Contreras on deck, I I wouldn't have sent him, and I would have given the other Brewers another chance. What do you What do you think about that? I would agree with that because Weimer's hitting what two ten right now. So if there's a, about a twenty one percent chance that Weimer gets a hit, and then maybe another eight percent that he walks to pass it down to Yelich, like that's your odds are probably what about twenty six percent then, twenty five percent. Of uh, of actually getting him in with with Joey Weimer up or with Yelich as the next hitter, so you know it. There was probably at least a twenty five percent chance that that throw was offline a little bit from Hap. I mean, it it wasn't a deep fly ball, but it was deep enough to you know where there's a chance where where, where Hap has to make a good throw. He wasn't dead at home. I, I think it was a good send. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is probably about a. I would say probably twenty-five to thirty percent chance you're safe on that because it didn't take a cannon arm to get him. It just needed to be online, and that's what he, that's what he did. Um, I did see a picture on Twitter of I, I I think it was the. I'm trying to remember which one it was. If it was the tag on Miller or on Monasterio, somebody had a nice angle from above that actually showed the catcher's um, glove and the ball, and he did the classic, you know, hold your glove or hold the ball while you have it in the glove. And as he went to tag him, the ball actually pulled out of his glove. I saw a picture uh, from above where the ball was actually out of the glove just slightly. I don't even know if that's an angle they have as umpires, but I thought that was interesting, assuming that I did see that correctly. That was floating around Brewer's Twitter. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get that one overturned unless the ball comes fully out of the glove for the tag. But yeah, yeah, the the classic. Yeah, yeah. It it reminded me of the, of like the, uh, like the neighborhood play when 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 uh when replay just started or some of those bang bang plays where it's like the glove lace touches the the jersey uh-huh. like it's it's those types of plays where when you watch it it's like no he's he's dead out so mm-hmm. either way I mean the Brewers lost a game I do agree that generally being aggressive is is good to err on that side make the defense make a throw and with Joey Weimer on deck I think it's a more forgivable 
send by by lane, especially in the 11th. So the Brewers will have two more games in the remaining four games set with Cubs. We'll see if they can win that those remaining two to take the series, and then they'll have a, a three game series against. Uh, can I say their division? The division rivals now the uh, the Cincinnati Reds, who the Brewers are one game back in the division. So that'll be uh, finishing the week uh, here at home against the Cubs and the Reds. So, David, do you mind uh, sharing a couple injury and updates that the Brewers have had over the last week or so? Yeah, the Brewers signed Jemai Jones to a major league deal and activated him that day. He hadn't opt out of his Dodgers contract previously, so he's in AAA. It's not like he was just signed off the street, but he did end up hitting that. I think I so I didn't watch on Monday, but was it a game tying? I think game tying three run double. Yeah, game tying. In his first, the first tying. pitch he saw as a Brewer. Yeah, clear cleared the bases on a on the first pitch, a double that brought in three runs to tie the game in. I think the eighth, I believe. Yeah, um, and the corresponding move for that one was Brian Anderson going on paternity leave. So presumably Anderson will be back pretty soon. Hopefully he comes back a little bit better. Got that dad strength. Generally. I remember watching a John Boy video about how players actually in like their first three games back from paternity leave have hit like 325 or something <laughs> over the last three years. So maybe Anderson will have a good stretch. They designated Thomas Pannone for assignment after his actually pretty good outing on Friday. He pitched before Matt Bush and they DFA'd both of them. But then instead of following through with waivers on Matt Bush and, and outrighting him to AAA, the Brewers just decided to release him, which personally I think is probably a good move. Just get him, get him a fresh start if he wants to to pursue other opportunities. And then they selected the contract of Clayton Andrews, lefty, five foot six lefty, who made his debut on Saturday and then also pitched in that extra inning game against the Cubs on Tuesday. Yeah, Clayton Andrews had a rough rough time in that Brewers win when the Brewers were up ten nothing and then. Uh, close to blew the lead, ended up winning 11-8. He was a big part of that, giving up, I believe, five earned runs in two-thirds of an inning. Not exactly a great start to his career um, in in his time in in, uh, in Pittsburgh. And then he did pitch in, um, that would have been the top of the 11th in game two of the Cubs series. He actually looked pretty good. We were at the game that he did not look good, but it was hard to see exactly where his pitches were and those types of things from where we were sitting. But watching watching the game, he, he his stuff looked good. That changeup played really well. Um, he's up to like 95, 96, like you said, as a five foot six lefty and a, a really nice changeup. Seems like pretty much a two, two pitch pitcher, but stuff seems pretty decent. Um, so we'll see if he sticks around or not. Of course, adds a left hander in the pen with Hobie Milner and uh, with the, the DFAing of Thomas Pannone. So uh, real briefly, David, Jemai Jones, can you give a little bit of background? I know he has a little bit of, um, he had some tout behind him as a prospect not necessarily a highly touted prospect but i believe he was in the, in the top 100 correct yeah he was in the top 100 by by all i think all three of the major publications by baseball prospectus baseball america and mlb pipeline back in 2018 um he he was baseball prospectus actually liked him more than the other two but he was a second round pick of the angels back in 2015 actually picked one selection before blake perkins uh, coincidentally he did play a little bit for the Angels in 2020. He debuted and then played a little bit in the majors for Baltimore in 21. He was in AAA, uh, like I had previously mentioned, with the Dodgers this year. And he had a 970 OPS before the Brewers picked him up. So he was having some success there. He was originally an outfielder, but also play, has played some second base. So I don't know exactly if the Brewers plan on using him in both places, but he he does have 
you know, some experience in both the infield and the outfield. Um, he's, I think he's a good, good runner, uh, but he hasn't hit really enough other than maybe this triple a stint with the Dodgers. He hadn't really hit enough in his minor league career to, to, to put himself as a, as a legit prospect past that one year or beyond that one year in 2018. So he, he was always kind of a, a middling prospect, but he wasn't, he wasn't maybe a blue chip guy. Uh, but now this is, I mean, the Brewers, I, I think have a lot of these former, you know, former decent prospects that they've been picking up. Blake Perkins was one of them uh, who, you know, w- was once a, a decent prospect and the Brewers pick him up, give him a second chance, see what he has. And so far, of course, Perkins has been pretty good. Hopefully Jones can have the same success that Perkins has had so far. And I think that's possible. He'll be in that probably in a backup role playing mostly off the bench and We'll see if the Brewers are able to keep him around when Anderson comes off the paternity list. Well, and and remind me how the Brewers were able to get him. You said he was in AAA with the Dodgers. Did the Dodgers decide to part ways with him with a 970 OPS? He had an opt-out of his contract. So if by July 1st he wasn't in the majors, then he could opt out to look for other opportunities. So he did that, and the Brewers gave him a major league deal. Got it. Got it. So let's, David, August 1st, the, the trade deadline, of course, we're less than a month away from that. The good news is the Brewers can't really have a worse trade deadline than I think they did last year. Uh, the Brewers traded away Josh Hader last deadline. They received Taylor Rogers, a guy by the name of Matt Bush, Trevor Rosenthal, and Denelson Lamette, who the Brewers, of course, didn't actually end up putting out on the field for uh, a one pitch. They combined for a 5.75 ERA across 56 innings. And so, like I said, the Brewers can't really do worse than they did last year. Yes, the Josh Hader trade produced William Contreras, so I guess that wasn't all for naught. But uh, it couldn't be, couldn't go much worse than that. What do the Brewers do differently? Uh, we've talked a little bit about strategy around relievers, but what do the Brewers do differently this time around to avoid having the same fate as the 2022 deadline had? Well, you probably trade for healthy relievers for one. If you're going to trade for relievers, I, I mean, we we talked about this a few months ago, but the Brewers seem to be you know, shopping in the bargain bin. They've been getting the, the relievers that have significant defects, whether it's, you know, actually Taylor Rogers probably wasn't that bad of a pickup at the time. He was struggling a little bit, so was Hader. But, you know, Rogers didn't do anything with the Brewers positively. Matt Bush was, you know, older and he had some success, but he didn't have much of a track record of performance or even staying healthy. So, you know, he was, he had, a, you know, pretty, actually I, I thought was, an okay trade at the time, but that's the risk you run when you get, you know, that kind of middling tier of relievers. Do you go after the big names? Do the Brewers go after, you know, Josh Hader? Uh, th- that probably won't happen this this deadline. Although it would be funny. I I, I hope that happens. I don't know if the Padres are going to sell. They're they're you know below five hundred, but they uh, they have kind of too good of a team to just dismantle everything right now. Uh, but you know. I think they need to trade for better quality relievers if you're going to to uh, make trades at the deadline. Uh, they they need more than just more, you know, Bryce Wilsons. They need at least one eighth inning guy, someone to go along with the OL Piamps, and someone more than Justin Wilson, who's coming back. As you know, Matt Arnold said it. We've been joking about it for weeks, but Brandon Woodruff is is a good trade deadline acquisition. Justin Wilson is a trade deadline acquisition. But those guys are coming from within. They need a little bit more than 
you know, Woodruff, of course, you're not going to get somebody of Woodruff's caliber at the deadline. I don't expect you to, but you need more than just Woodruff at the deadline. So, you know, they need some bullpen help. They need uh, maybe next week or the week after we can talk about some specific targets for the Brewers to go after on the relief market. But you need a you need a reliever uh, and a late inning guy. You, you can't, you know, get the middling reliever, the the Daniel Norris and hope he turns it around. Um, they've had really no success doing that. Yeah, I, I wonder if the Drew Pomeranz almost hurt them. Because then after that, they thought they could do that every single year and really haven't besides that Mm -hmm. one. And maybe maybe it's just pure luck that they happened to get Pomerantz and he did that. Kind of seems like that at this point. I don't know. But yeah, they they need to have a better strategy. And the Brewers have a farm system that's pretty decent. We're not talking about trading away Freilich or Churio or any of their top guys. But I think they also need to be a little bit more okay with trading away some prospects to, to make their current team better. I know that's been a big... Like the, in the Stearns and now Arnold era, that's that hasn't been something that they've necessarily done a lot of more recently. They did it, you know, to get Yelich, and they were okay doing it earlier on. But it seems like once we hit the point where we are competitive, they just haven't really been open to trading really m- much of the farm system besides a couple of small pieces here and there. And even like a guy like Aroldis Chapman, who was who was a rental, and you know he's he's just here for the rest of the season. But you and I were talking about that. You were saying you were surprised at what it took to get Chapman in the sense that you thought it would take more. I mean, what do you think about the Chapman acquisition? It's obviously gone and and passed at this point, but would you have been okay giving up a similar package that Texas gave up to get Chapman? Definitely. Yeah. I thought, I thought the package that they gave up was a little bit light. Of course, you know, Kansas city may have specifically liked the guys they got from Texas. Well, they probably did, but you know, Taylor Rogers was a rental reliever. Trevor Rosenthal was a rental reliever. Drew Pomeranz. So, the Brewers, specifically with relievers or the kind of fringe position players, aren't afraid to get rentals, and you know I'm okay with that. But they need to to yeah get a little bit better of of players when they're going to do that, uh, or you know they end up with with these same moves. And yeah, Chapman, I I would have been okay making a trade like that. Uh, of course, there's a chance that the the 17 year old prospect turns into Freddie Peralta, but that's the risk you run and. He also might turn into Gene Carmona, who the Brewers traded in the the Jonathan Scope trade. Who you know, there's a reason that nobody's heard of Gene Carmona. <laughs> I'm I'm shocked that Gene Carmona was it was mentioned on a podcast in 2023. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, I mean it's you can't just hoard all your prospects and hope that all of them turn out because they're they're not going to, and you also have to fill holes that you have. And Chapman would have been a perfect fit because we needed another lefty reliever and we needed another top top end reliever and he would have fit both of those. So yeah, I wish wish the Brewers would have pulled the trigger on on something like that if if that was an option. And if not, there's there's other guys they can get and we'll certainly be looking at potential targets that the Brewers uh, could 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 have here in the next couple of weeks. It was it was a relatively early trade? Correct me if I'm wrong. It, to to give up a rental. Um, end of June, early July. That, that mm-hmm. seems to be a little early than usual, correct? Yeah, it was. But I think the either the Rangers said it or the Royals said it that there'd be a little bit better return for the Royals if they if they gave them up now. I mean, the Royals aren't going anywhere, so it's not a you know it's not like they're waving the white flag early or or anything like that. Kind of similar to the the CC Sabathia trade back in 08 when you know CC Sabathia, I should say in the words of Doug Melvin, but you know, the, the Brewers gave up a little bit more than they did 
or than they would have had they waited another three weeks and then they got an extra you know four or five starts out of CC in July and who knows if the Brewers are able to chase the Mets if they didn't have that CC Sabathia presence already in 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 early July yeah I think I think it was July 7th so or July 5th right now so it'd be right right around this time of year the Brewers making a, a trade for you know I don't think we're going to get a CC Sabathia type but making a trade for a rental around this time of year yeah no, I think it. I mean, I think more rentals should be traded around this time. I think teams get a little too stingy when they're the ones holding the rental and want to try to get the maximum out of them. But a lot of times they end up getting less because they hold them for an extra month um, to try to get other teams bidding on it. And yeah, I think it's a win for the Rangers to get them now, and it's a win for the Royals to get them when the Rangers can have more time with them. So I think it makes makes a lot of sense. So let's let's transition into our final topic here today, comparing Christian Yelich's first half to those of his previous seasons with the Brewers. David, I'll read off a couple of uh, stat lines here, slash lines for Christian Yelich's first half. You tell me which which year it is, and, and listeners, feel free to follow along. David has a little bit of an edge because we did talk about this a little bit before the episode. But uh, 293 batting average, 364 on base, and 459 slugging. David, what year was that? Was that 2018 first half Christian Yelich, 2019 first half Christian Yelich, or 2023 first half Christian Yelich? Well, I can tell you it wasn't 2020 when there was no first half or 21 or 22 when everybody was complaining nonstop about him. Uh, but I believe that was 2018, his, his first year with the Brewers. You are correct. That was his first year with the Brewers. Two, 293, 364, 459 with an 823 OPS and 11 home runs in 2018. David, slash line here, 284, 380, and 451. What year was that? 2018, 2019, or this year? I believe that's this year. Correct. That is this year, 284, 380, 451. You'll notice a very similar batting average, a higher on base percentage, and a slightly, slightly lower slugging. Actually, a better OPS, 831, and 10 home runs compared to the 11 home runs in the first half of 2018. 2019 was a little bit of a different animal. He was, he, his slash line, 329, 433, 707. Now, a reminder that was the juice ball year, but a, a 1.1. 4-0 OPS and 31 home runs in the first half of the 2019 campaign. Forgot how good Yelich was in 2019. Um, so we've talked about, we've joked about now for a couple of years. When are we going to see Christian, the, the, the MVP Christian Yelich back? The Brewers just need Yelich to start playing like he did in 18 and 19 and then they'll be good. And we, we always joke about it now because we got sick of it. And that's all that national media ever talked about with the Brewers. But did we finally get the answer to that? I guess is is this finally the year where Christian Yelich is is back to his 2018 at least first half levels? Have we have we answered the question now finally? Kind of. I mean, I don't think people are going to really complain about this Christian Yelich because this was. I mean, this is really the Christian Yelich that the Brewers were expecting coming from Miami. You know, he this is kind of on par with his production in Miami, which is you know a very good player. He was especially with the defense ticking back up becoming a better defender again he's a good base runner and if he's about 20 percent above average as a hitter if not even maybe a little bit more than that um you know that's a, a very good player and really i think worth 26 million uh, it, it's when he was hitting 250 with a 380 slugging that he wasn't that player now is he mvp yelich you know he's not an mvp caliber player right now unless he follows the 2018 script and you know goes off in the second half which of course it's possible, uh, but 
I think a little bit, maybe a little bit unlikely that that happens. Um, so, you know, maybe we got the answer. I think people, you know, people won't really talk so much about when will the real Christian Yelich show up again, because I think this is good enough where you're like, okay, you know, it's, it's not the Christian Yelich of the past three years where you knew there was more in there and you knew something was, something was wrong. Uh, but he's, he's having a very good year. So I guess in some ways, Christian Yelich is, is, is back officially. Um, and probably, you know, I maybe, maybe should have been an all-star. I know there are a lot of outfielders. He should have been an, an all-star over Lourdes Gurriel Jr. For sure of, uh, of Arizona who, who got elected by the players. Yelich definitely should have been an all-star over him. By the way, shout out to Devin Williams for his, his second all-star selection. I don't think we mentioned that one yet, but Yelich is back to, back to at least pre MVP levels, which is better than his post MVP level. Yeah. Like you said, he is, he's more the player this year than that. I think the Brewers more so expected out of, out of him. So I don't think we need to spend too much more time on that. Um, but I, I do think it sort of begs the, begs the question that have we answered the question of when we were going to get Christian Yelich back. And I, I do think I'm not, I'm not sure he's necessarily like you said, going to take things off the second half. If he has a similar second half to this half, that's great. Maybe he even has a slight regression. I'm not sure, but he's certainly a different player than he has been in the past. And I give him huge credit for the defensive improvements that he had. He talked about how he was pulled last year as a defensive replacement. And that sort of punched him in the gut and woke him up and was like, I, I can't have that happening to me, which I, which I, again, give him a lot of credit for because a lot of veteran guys at this point in their career may just say, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I don't really want to work on my defense and footwork and all those things. I just want to hit. It's not the the sexy thing to be good at. Um, but he worked hard in the offseason and made huge improvements. I mean, he's gone from a below average defender to a, a, a very good defender in just an offseason, which is really impressive. So, like I said, I gave him a lot of credit for that. And you mentioned Devin Williams, his second all-star appearance. And uh, Christian Yelich, I think, was a bit of a snub. The The National League starting outfielders, outfielders are Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, and Corbin Carroll. All three guys, I think, more deserving than Yelich. Although Mookie Betts, I don't think, is having all that great of a year. Um, up to his standards. But of course, those are fan votes. So more so looking at the National League reserves, you mentioned Lourdes Goriel Jr., who Yelich has had better numbers pretty much across the board than him, Nick Castellanos and Juan Soto. I guess there's a chance that maybe that Yelich gets in as a replacement if any of those outfielders go down. But did you think Yelich did get snubbed in in making the All-Star this year? He got snubbed compared to Lourdes Goriel. I don't you know. Some people were like, oh, yeah, it should be a starter or something. Yeah, he's he's playing well, but you have to look at the other players, too, because you can just as easily say that if he if he snubbed someone else. Um, but he certainly certainly was more deserving than Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I did look at Mookie Betts' stat and he's he's been worth four war already slugging 560 while playing good defense at, you know, both actually second base and right field playing a little bit of shortstop, too. So I think Betts is is definitely more worthy than Yelich, but Yelich is worthy of a backup role. Hopefully he can, you know, I'm not wishing that someone gets hurt, but I kind of am wishing that someone has a slight, you know, right quad tightness so that <laughs> Yelich can get in the game. You wouldn't wish an injury on somebody, but you'd wish right quad tightness on somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if that qualifies as a, as a legit injury. I remember our dad getting mad at me when I started cheering because UniB got hurt. I was probably like eight, eight or nine, or a or a, like a neck stiffness, 
That's, like JB Vukaskis. Yeah. The cervical strain. He yeah, said that so he slept wrong in the hotel and his, he said it was one of the worst pains of his life or something like that. And then he went to play catch and he said that everything was just off and they they found that he had a, a cervical strain. So That's he got major league pay though while he was on I the IL. I thought of that. I so, thought of that. He gets called up to the big leagues and then he hops on the IL and gets paid big league pay. And uh, and yeah, as a pitcher, I mean, it's something that probably if you're a, you know, if you're a second baseman or first baseman and that happens, you might play, play through it. But as a pitcher, I get, I do get that. If you're, mm-hmm. if the muscles in your neck are off, it, it will impact probably the way that you pitch, um, especially mm-hmm. if you're a 21st century pitcher. Pete Vukovic, probably not mm-hmm. going on the IL for a, uh, for a, that's, that's called my neck has a crick in it and I just crack it and I go back out there and pitch. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't make them like they used to, eh? Nope, they don't. They don't, and they also don't throw eighty six. Yeah, that's uh, what I was a day in a day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, what, that's what I was thinking too. So yeah. Brewers, Brewers again having a pretty good week here, taking three out of four from the Mets, two out of three from Pittsburgh, splitting games one and two with the Cubs, and uh, two remaining now against the Cubs, and then three against the Reds. Anything, David, that you're specifically looking for here? Uh, I think I feel like the Brewers are a bit of a turning point. We kind of have have talked about how the Brewers are at a, a important part in the season and. Things seem to be going in the right direction. More guys coming back from the IL. Um, we didn't even talk about Roddy Telez's struggle. That I think is is worthwhile of a discussion next week. But there's there's seems like we're kind of at a turning point here as we get close to the All Star break and the Brewers start seeing if they're if they're really truly going to be contending for a National League Central title, which it seems like is the case. So anything in particular that you're looking for in these next couple games, whether it's you know Weimer Weimer continuing to play um, or Weimer playing playing better two rang or, or certain guys you're looking for. I, I think, yeah, Rowdy is one of them and Winker is the other one that I, I'm, I'm looking for them to turn around. They're playing the, the NL central teams a lot right now. They just wrapped up three with Pittsburgh, four with Chicago right now, three more with Cincinnati after the all-star break, another three with Cincinnati. And then at the end of the month, another three with Cincinnati. So, you know, we talked about early on in the, or, back in the off season, how the rule changes might affect the players. We talked about the shift. We talked about the, the uptick in stolen bases. And we also talked about the schedule change and how they're playing more of a, a balanced schedule. I was a little bit worried about how that might affect some of the hitters and Rowdy particularly. He just seemed like one that would been, that has, has benefited a lot from playing the same NL central opponents. And now that the division's a little bit better, it was it. I guess I don't know. I mean, the Reds are better. The Pirates are better. But we're not playing the division as much either. But now we're playing the division a lot this month. So maybe Rowdy gets back on track. He didn't look good against Pittsburgh. He hasn't looked good against the Cubs so far. But, you know, I'm interested to see if if Rowdy can turn it around. If Winker, who was once one of the best hitters in the NL Central, can turn it around this month. Because if they don't turn it around this month, maybe the Brewers go and get a first baseman, maybe they get a DH, maybe they, they cut ties with Winker, maybe Rowdy gets shifted to a bench role and Keston Hira comes back up. Who knows? But the Brewers need offense out of those two spots. They're the two most premium offensive spots, and they're really getting no offense out of either. And this is the the week, the, the couple-week stretch that, that Rowdy and Winker need to pick it up if they want to keep their roles. Yeah, no, those are the two those are the two biggest spots, like you said, offensively. And, and now's the time. I think July is the time frame where you've given a lot of guy, a lot of time for those two guys to turn things around. And they, 
for the most part, haven't. One thing I wanted to point out is I mentioned Joey Weimer. He's kind of a guy I'm, I'm always looking at because I think he has the potential to play better offensively. In the month of June, which again is just one month, but his slash line was 233, 337 on base and a 512 slugging good for an 848 OPS. So he had, had an exceptional June, uh, of course, we're only five months into July, but I'm hoping that that continues in the sense that he continues that upward trend. I'm not expecting an 850 OPS from him the rest of the way, but um, he was 678 OPS in April and March, then 497 in May. So hoping that he can maybe stabilize around the 700 mark would be really, really, I think a big kick to the Brewers offense. And the other trade deadline acquisition, if we want to call it, would be either Keston Hira and or South Raelic as well, who we could both see. I think we, I think it's pointing more and more towards that we're going to see both of them. Freilich, I think we're pretty much for sure going to see this year, but the way Winker and Winker and Rowdy, I, I think unless both of them turn it around in the next three, four weeks, Keston's sort of knocking on the door and we'll see if it's more of the same 4A hitter who hits well in AAA and can't hit all that well in the big leagues or if he has a turnaround and he's able to actually perform well in the, in the major leagues as well. So a lot to be looking for. And that, of course, Brandon Woodruff's return will be a good one for the Brewers uh, as they add their what could be their their ace, I guess. We'll see uh, how he comes back. Um, but it should be exciting for the Brewers. As they stand again, just one game back in the National League Central. We'll have you covered here, as always, at the Barrel Banter. This is Peter and David Go signing off. Go Brewers.